Hello and welcome to Formula for Success in association with F1 Manager 2023. I'm David Coulthard and we have our own former F1 Manager here in the studio, Eddie Jordan. Ah, yes, it's me again. I'm loving this, but being so close to David all of this time, I'm very apprehensive. I'm nervous. Save me, folks. Save me. Can you believe he was an F1 manager? Well, F1 Manager 2023 is available via download. And if you're old school, like EJ, you can also buy a physical copy now, too. Now, Eddie, there was a previous version of this game released in the year 2000 by a different developer. And looking at the cover now, I can see Jean Todd, Ron Dennis, and you. You must have charged a high price to let them use your face on that well, particular branding. I didn't realise I was so photogenic. I mean, I'm looking sensible as well, which is not always the case. Well, moving swiftly on, we've got some questions from our listeners to answer a little bit later on, and we're going to be joined by a very special guest. We also asked the listeners to come up with a name for themselves. And, you know, we, we've got the Tifosi and uh, the Italian fans of Ferrari, but we want to know what they would call themselves as fans of formula for success so we had a guy called gerard o'donoghue and he has simply called uh, himself the ffs ozzy you get it the ffs Ozi. i don't think you should be saying that because no. you struggle with ffs <laughs> anyway do. anyway so that's quite i quite like that one we've got abby dabby al has got the the r's you need to say that let's one. hear that one yes. yeah i think that's very appropriate uh, we've got Stu broad saying the ed bangers Oh. Quite like that. We've got Organolan. I can't actually even say that. The Pirates. Well, That's you. That's well, you. I'll give you credit for that okay. one. Uh, Guilty Spaniels. He's come up with The Successors. Dan Brooks has come up with the FFSers. That's still that's difficult for me to say. We've got Chris Penn has come up with The Anchors. Zach Borg. The, as long as think- it's spelt with an A and not with another word. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, because I, had, I don't like the anchors. It's yeah. too close to something yes. that I've been uh, called Accused many occasions. many times, indeed. Uh, Zach Borg, the we think David deserved at least one world championship club. Okay, uh, yeah, that's a bit, that hurts. No, don't come along with that. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Dominic uh, Belisario has suggested fans for Formula for Success or FFFF. S. I like that. Just because it would be difficult for me to say, I think he's come up yes. with that. Uh, well, look, what we'll do is Eddie and I'll run through uh, this. You know, there's literally been hundreds of thousands have been sent in. Well, not hundreds. Hundreds of thousands, Well, well look, I, I'm, I'm spending time with you. I just exaggerate now. I can't help it. But anyway, we're going to rattle that list down and we will put it to the vote on our Instagram page. Questions, questions. Christopher McGicken from Belfast asks, I've always wanted to know how do drivers get paid their salary and bonus? Are they paid monthly like most of us or is it all up front? Well, I guess it's down to the individual teams and uh, individual contracts, but my contract was paid quarterly. Um, so there was the, the actual driving fee, which was negotiated. And of course, bonuses were only paid if you were deserving of it. So... I would get a win bonus, uh, a pole position bonus, a points bonus, turning up in time bonus, for being called David bonus, and the list went on. I, I, I was I very don't understand this heavily because bonused. ours was different. How did you do it? One word is called promises. <laughs> you can't cash a promise. <laughs> ah, we always promised to pay. We always did pay. Bonuses were only paid at the end of the year, and the reason being drivers 
uh, could leave or have a dispute or something like that. So it was connected to longevity. And um, we never really had a problem with it. Um, drivers always got paid. Please remember, we, the teams got paid one year behind. So in other words, the money that the team got paid, we only were paid in January for the previous year, half of the money and then quarterly going forward. So it was difficult to do that with a driver because they had a contract that had, uh, when they got paid was in the current year that they were actually participating in. Um, that seems fair and reasonable. The team payment seems unfair to to be paid a year well, in arrears. Bernie always believed in loyalty, but he always made sure that there was so many financial restrictions involved that he, it incurred loyalty because unless you were loyal, and it was quite a tough, if, for example, this is what I say to business when I'm doing motivation, and I often say when I was a, a director of Oyster, I used to sit down and say to them, guys, I know how difficult it is to meet deadlines in terms of when boat and production and how it would hit the water and when you make the sales. But if you put in the Formula One uh, analogy into that, in other words, the first race was in Australia. I couldn't go to Bernie and say, look, my car's not quite finished yet. I haven't been able to do the roll hoop or this and that. It hasn't passed a crash test or it hasn't done this. That was you out of the championship, out of the money. So whatever money you earned last year, you weren't going to get it. So it does make you focus your mind on how the car, irrespective of what condition the car was there, you were going to have to have a car in a grid. Because Bernie has a contract and a commitment to the television stations that he would have so many cars on the grid. So I could see where he was coming from. We had to understand that. We had to get the car. And the problem is that I think Formula One is a fabulous um, indication of how businesses should or could run. And that is timescales are so important. And um, coming back to the question that you've asked me is what is that unfair by not being paid? Well, I think it was fair because it made you pay attention um, to when you got money. So the money that you felt was due from the previous year, you only got it if you attended the year after. There's been a lot of talk on money in Formula One on budget cap. There's 140 million that's been uh, allocated, but that excludes marketing, it excludes the top two or three highest um, salaries within the company, it excludes drivers. So the, the truth is that the Formula One teams can still spend hundreds of millions. And they can still scam it. Are they you telling me, let's just put it this way, I want a certain thing done on a wind tunnel. And I would like certain things because you're only allowed now so many hours and you can't spend hours and nights and weekends and have a dedicated team in a wind tunnel like we used to be able to do. So let's say a car manufacturer is not in Formula One. Let's say I'm BMW and I have a team. It would be very easy, in my opinion, for me to say to the person in BMW, this is something that I think your team and you as a car manufacturer, we would like to know what are the, the, the vortex there and what is the spill out and what advantage does that win? Can you please try this stuff out in your wind tunnel? But you need to say it is for a car uh, discipline rather than for the race team. Um, and I think that it's wide open to skullduggery. I do not believe um, that people adhere um, even though this will be probably replied to by the teams to say Eddie Jordan doesn't know what he's talking about. I still believe it's open. It's, it's, not, just, it's not just the teams that say that. <laughs> well, anyway, look, let's get back to the, the question is that it's too loose. 
Why are we excluding the top three people? Why do um, we need it? The, why, like, you, exactly. You were able to win Grand Prix with presumably a fraction of the budget of Ferrari and McLaren. And, and that hasn't changed. And it's not going to change. Are you telling me that Haas has the same 140, the same capacity, that they can do the same amount on that money as Ferrari can? Are you telling me that Ferrari have a cap? Are you telling me that Red Bull have a cap? We know they got caught last year but they took 10% of their wind tunnel time away. If anything, the car is greater and better than it ever. It should be, they should pray that they are restricted of 10% of their time going forward. I remember cycling with Adrian Newey, and he was so really upset about the penalty from the FIA, um, that how could they make a car compete against the other teams? And now look, the car is so much better, and maybe they did better work with that less money. And this is a good indication. Less is more sometimes. And this is a perfect example for Red Bull. They could do less because they were restricted. And if anything, the less is more part because the car is better. When you were running the team, where do you think you sat as a budget? Were you a third of... Ferrari and McLaren, were you half of their budget? I know you can't know for sure. but yeah, Of course, you never know no, for sure. But what, what but was your gut feeling? Well, it? actually, I would say uh, less than a third because <clears throat> if you allocate, I often used to make the, the analogy at that time about the number of staff I would have. Let's say I had 180, 200 people. McLaren would have 600, 700. And then Ferrari would have 1,000. A and, and that generally was an indicator, not a, an accurate indicator, but an indicator of where the level of costs because if you have 600 people, they are spending more money because they're, they're doing uh, all, all the different programs, they're doing research, they're doing analysis. And they did a brilliant job to do that. And we would have done it had we had the money. And this is not a, a you know, oh, poor me, poor me. It was never that. We never even thought about it. It was, not, it was not an issue. We have what we've got. We can't change that. Now let's make the most out of it. And that's the way we went about it. You know, it's like looking over your shoulder. You must never do that. You always try and look forward. And when you're going and taking the high jump, you need to keep putting the bar up and you keep driving your team into achieving and finding better ways to do things at a better cost, which would give us a, a, at least the same chance as everyone else had. I think it's too easy just to be critical and pinpoint, say, ah, oh, it's all to do with money, but because that's bollocks. Wise words from Mr. Eddie Jordan. Ah. Life lessons. Formula for Success is brought to you in association with F1 Manager 2023 giving you unparalleled control of the chosen F1 team and a brand new mode that allows you to rewrite the season in your terms. So EJ, you've delved into your little black book of famous friends, and I'm particularly excited uh, for the guests that we're going to bring on the show today because I've got massive respect for the sport that he was a leader in because there's nowhere to hide on the rugby field. And it's, what's the expression? It's a sort of a really aggressive sport, but played by gentlemen. Very seldom in my life have people in sport uh, made me drop a tear uh, in terms of adoration, in terms of joy, uh, because they, those two things are very much aligned to each other. This guy is not just a, an ordinary person. He's an absolute brilliant leader. And if you talk about motivation, then he is the one that you need to be honestly on this level with as well. And um, the person I'm now going to introduce is none other than the person who has 58 caps for Ireland. His father was capped for Ireland as well, was 
great, great hooker. He's absolutely a megastar. He won um, Player of the Year in, in rugby. He played for the Lions five times. And guy's a genius in terms of a rugby captaincy. So we want to talk him about motivation and people. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Keith Wood, absolute genius. Well done, Keith. I'm so happy to have you on here. Did you like that introduction, Keith? It's quite interesting when you've no real idea what Eddie's going to say, but for the fact of to say anything nice <laughs> is incredibly confusing because our <laughs> lifetime has been a lifetime of verbal abuse. But um, but that sits kind of well too. So it is. It's nice. Great to be on the show. Like, Absolutely. Really and I'm glad that you have summed up to our listeners uh, the 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 confusion that goes with being a friend of Eddie because you know deep down I love him. But he'd never admit to it. But, you know, I'm sitting a meter and a bit away from him here in the studio, and that's about as close as I want to get to him. He's a nutcase, isn't he? But you seem like a very sane and rational it's not Irishman. True. It's not true. Not true. Yeah, I, I am. I am pretty sane and rational. I mean, I have the touch of madness that's required to be able to be friends with Eddie. I think that would be a fair kind of comment to say. Uh, let's move um, on here. I want to talk about the first, one of the first times. Tell us about our efforts in... Um, Number 10 and Mr. Blair, uh, you can recall this far better than me. I think I probably had a touch too much to drink. But anyway, please go and tell us about the very famous time we went to number 10. Just before that, I remember watching Eddie on the Late Late Show um, back in the day, very famous uh, program with Gay Byrne as the, as the host at the time. And uh, I was a young fella and watching Eddie uh, talking about his dreams for uh, for what he wanted to do with racing and just thinking look at that absolute idiot there's just no way he's going to be able to kind of go and do anything <laughs> he's got uh, he's got a confidence and an arrogance that just doesn't sit well with irish people at all and there's no way he's going to be able to succeed or achieve i always put him out as being someone who gambled in a non a non-irish way and it was absolutely to be applauded. And what he succeeded then afterwards made it fantastic. So I couldn't wait to meet him. And the first time I got the chance to meet him was very randomly in 97. We got invited to meet Tony Blair in 10 Downing Street. It was to meet um, it was to meet British sport. So we we were well able to take the the comfortable irony and the fact that those two mad Egypts in Eddie and myself and Ken Doherty, the snooker player, were three Irishmen inside in the midst of that. And we'd just come back from 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 a Lions tour. So it was British, Britain and Ireland. And that was the sort of rationale for me to be there. Obviously, Eddie with, with uh, Jordan Grand Prix. And it was just... It was really cool because you were watching all these phenomenal sports people and they were just great, like really, really great. And what happened? The three Irish guys went in behind a little screen, had a couple of drinks by ourselves, chatted away to ourselves. We found our comfort, our little spot in 10 Downing Street and everybody left. And we came out from behind the screen and there was nobody there. And we ended up having to leave ourselves out the front door. <laughs> no I mean, we had to run of the place if we wanted to. We should have gone mad, but we didn't. We could have taken over. We were all scuttered at that stage but Ken Doherty I should remember I think he was the world champion at the time and um, Ken is a great guy and we were all proud of him as well so uh, a great memory I'm going to move it on from there because um, you were very friendly with uh, a great friend who we've passed Dave Marin which is the most beautiful man 
no longer with us, sadly. Um, but Nigel Northridge uh, from Benson and Hedges, he, he kind of was a rugby fanatic. So he invited you then to a number of Grand Prix of, of which you came to. And um, one in particular was uh, we had, um, well, we hadn't got Frenson at this stage. I had sacked him. So tell us about the time that you came to be a guest of Jordan Grand Prix in the German Grand Prix, it was your stag weekend, if I remember rightly. You you proposed to Nicola and she'd accepted. Christ, I knows why. But anyway, because she's a very sensible lady and um, I have no idea why she hooked up with you. But anyway, go on. Tell us about that particular weekend. Well, there's a whole variety of bits to that, but uh, you have to talk about Dave Marin, who was amazing, who was with um, sure. uh, MNC Sachi, I think, at the time. And he was a, a fantastic man. He very sadly passed away. Great, great guy. Um, my wife, Nicola Scottish, um, uh, David, oh, so you'll, no. you'll, you'll, you'll change my opinion about her. I knew you were a good man. <laughs> um, so we, we're going to have an, uh, an alternative time at the World Cup going to the Ireland-Scotland game. So that's going to be fun too. Um it wasn't really my stag. I hadn't. I'd, I'd been on a on a lines tour and had just come back. I'd rang a couple of friends of mine to organise my honeymoon. Friends that I'd played rugby with and against in the states, so they'd organised all that. I was going to get married. Um, Nigel Northridge, um, who was again another class guy, and said, "Listen, we've organised. We're going to go and have a bit of a weekend." In Heidelberg, um, go to Hock. And I said, look, do you know what? I don't know if I can go. He said, look, you're getting married in a week or so. Let's sure just go. It'll be fun. So we turned up in Heidelberg. Um, another Scotsman, Stephen Hendry, uh, was there. Actually, another snooker man, too. So he was there. And we'd arranged to go um, hot air ballooning, which we did the day before, which we crash landed into the mountains, which was absolutely terrifying. Hendry refused to go up far smarter than any of us. He said, there's no way I'm going up and that. It looks like a patchwork quilt. Uh, we crash landed in the forest, which was absolutely terrifying. Nobody got injured, thankfully. So my nerves are on edge. Go to Hockenheim, opposite the pits, was a huge sign, the full length of the course, fuck off, Jordan, was what it said. On it because <laughs> it's what everyone was thinking. <laughs> I'd been up all night making that. <laughs> he sacked Frenson, uh, who was a hero uh, for um, German fans and Jordan fans, actually, but he'd sacked Frenson. So suddenly I was there, which I thought was for a really nice kind of couple of days of fun, and I became an impromptu bodyguard. And I, I swear to God, it was, he was, Eddie was getting pushed, which we kind of like to see in normal day to day, but there was a little bit of extra uh, oomph on this one. So they nearly turned over our van at one stage when we were trying to get out of the place. It was absolutely, but it was bedlam, but they were baying for blood for the whole thing. Um, uh, I think that's the reason we're friends. I think you still owe me. I say I save your life on that day, definitely, Eddie. Well, I, I can't disagree with that because at one stage, I don't know how the van, it had the best su suspension because we were being rocked to and fro and, and I kept shouting at the driver, go, 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 for Christ's sake. And at this stage, we hadn't got Woody in the van because the door was, I said, don't forget about him. Well, it's me, I want to go. <laughs> yeah, you know who your friends are in times of trouble. Um, you know, I, I love actually uh, hearing the, the, the stories and, and the uh, the relationship you guys have had because I, I, I've lived a lot of this uh, with with EJ over the years when we worked together and uh, with uh, television, the madness that, that he causes everywhere he goes. I think we, you love the chaos, don't you? 
I can't live without chaos. I need, I need drama every part of my day for it to be fulfilled. But anyway, let him tell you the story. We then jump, tell him about the helicopters, trying to get there, and we wind up in Galway. Two lovely stories in there. Go ahead. Please, Kate, tell us. Look, I'm not used to the, the world of Formula One, and I would have said probably, two, that was 2001, was probably the first time we were flying, um, not flying economy for the Irish rugby team. We'd been having a fight for years to try and move up to business class. And suddenly, and, and I'd flown over uh, on a commercial flight, of course, and uh, Eddie then says, there's a horse running in the Galway races. And I said, like, we're in. Heidelberg. He said, ring Nicola, see if you can, she doesn't need you to do anything before the wedding, right? So uh, I rang my my, my soon-to-be wife, which the fact she married me after this, I don't know, but, um, and uh, I said, great, we'll go to Galway. And it was like a scene from Apocalypse Now. So once we got out of the bloody van, which we had nearly lost our life in to, for the second time that weekend, I remember coming into a field, uh, a load of trees and around it, a clearing in the field and there were 10 helicopters on the ground and there were 10 up in the air. And as 10 landed, 10 took off, 10 landed, there was another 10 and another 10. And another. I've never seen anything like it in my life. You know, you, you expected the ride of the Valkyries to be pumped out all over the forest, but it was an amazing thing. And we, we flew from there, flew to a private plane, flew over to Galway, landed in Galway. We were in a pub in Oran Moor that night having a couple of pints. And then the following morning, we we met up with a load of different guys that we knew. And we, we Ireland's an incredibly small country and, and everybody knows everybody and everybody kind of pretty much gets on. And we were inside in Morn, Morn on the Weir with the best pints and the best oysters, the best seafood. And we had a, the most cracking day, just a fun of laughter. And then we went at sort of five o'clock to the Galway races, where we were immediately interviewed live. <laughs> and go, like live on TV. We've been drinking Guinness and eating uh, seafood for the whole day. And it becomes the most, for, live for the 6-1 news, for a news program. So not like a entertainment program. This is the news. So for live news, both of us giggle inanely for 15 minutes on air, which is crazy. We're on the front pages of the following day because we He'd just come back from from the Grand Prix. I'd just come back from a Lions tour. But the fun and the, the just the, the madness of that to be able to do that. Um, and I pretty much climbed over the fence and managed to get a plane, his plane, back to London so that I could actually get married. So I, later on that evening, I kind of snuck away. Trying to get away from Eddie was always a difficult thing too. Uh, I don't. I told you it was a mistake having him on the show because he would he would he would tell too many stories about those times. No, but for any of our listeners who have never been to Ireland and enjoyed the hospitality, it is it's great, isn't it? It is absolutely well. Fantastic. It's great when it's great, and it's horrible when it's horrible. But but one of the occasions, look, when he describes it, Ireland in government closes to go to the Galway races because it is just a spectacular. It's a bit like Cheltenham. It's a place that everybody goes to. I think we had a discussion with the Prime Minister where we were discussing all all the national affairs, the world of international affairs, but everybody is there and there's no pretense or anything. There's no bodyguard or no security and it's, it's just amazing. But Galway has a very special uh, place and, and and there's all sorts of different things but he, we did get him back to get married because Nicola don't know why she stayed with him incidentally how are those two boys doing with the rugby you, I know your dad was a great rugby player 
Um, we were back during the summer, so um, uh, my youngest fella was 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 playing in the in the underage system with with Monster. They were playing against Connacht, so we went back to Morns and the Weir without booking. Right, it's an incredible restaurant, really really great place. And I said, listen, and we haven't booked, but is there any chance you could get us a table? Um, it was eight or nine of us or whatever, and they actually put me and sat me directly underneath the picture of me drinking a pint on that day with you. 22 years ago, Nostalgia. which was pretty awesome, actually. <laughs> How far did they place. have to go to find that picture? <laughs> well, if I, if I can bring you back uh, to rugby, you've, you've got uh, number one, Ireland number one in the world right now. What are we predicting for the, the World Cup? Will you be part of the, the broadcasting for that? No, I'm not. My broadcasting days are, are pretty much over. So I had, a, I had 21 years with the BBC, which is a, which is a long stint, which I loved, um, and then moved on to other things afterwards. I still watch it. it broadcast a little bit on radio in Ireland because you can't kind of get away from the things that you love. But um, look, I, even with the matches that have gone on, gone on over the last few weeks, even with our standing in, uh, in World Rugby as number one at the moment, the favourites for this are absolutely France. There's, you can't get away from that. They're playing at home. That, that does give them added pressure, but it also gives them unbelievable support. And you know it puts pressure on referees and you know everything that happens. But not only that, they have put all their eggs into this basket. They want every single piece of this to be um a, about France as a country making a statement and so they've put every resource that they possibly could into the promotion of of this French team. I spent a bit of time at Raphael Ibanez who's the the French manager uh, over the last year and they're just they're trying to leave nothing for 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 granted um to to the manner in which they're looking at the game to the manner in which how they're playing the game um, and to the support of their own players. So, look, I think it's going to be an incredible um, competition, but partly because some of the other teams are getting more resources now and they're getting a chance and an opportunity to shine, as we saw with, with Fiji um, in the warm-up games, as we saw even with, with Samoa against Ireland. None of the games can be taken for granted. Um, before he um, leaves us, and because, A, we're very grateful, Kate, that you've come on, um, Woody, I've got Killer, my youngest son here, and he he reminds me, does um, that famous birthday, I had a birthday, I made a mistake, uh, I had it in Courchevel of all places, and in the middle of the snow and in the middle of um, winter, uh, everyone is togged up with millions of layers on, and we had um, bought a whole heap of um, budgie smugglers. They're, they're swimming shorts, only like knickers. Um, and uh, my face was uh, on the front of this, and there was some sort of a, a tail on the back of it. It was really horrible. But Killer reminds me that when he thinks about my birthday, he thinks about your you wearing my face uh, on your budgie smugglers. Well, I'm going to tell two quick stories before we go, and I'll accelerate the first one and the second one. But look, when 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 you know that the mad madness is hereditary and Eddie has passed it on to his kids, that's kind of unfortunate for them. But at their request, I and 24 other guys stripped off in the snow to budgie smugglers and sang a song with, with that band, which is an appalling photograph of <laughs> aging fat men who look absolutely ludicrous. So you, oh, that's another thing you owe me for. Um, I do have to say a, a story that Eddie hates 
And I think it's incredibly important to put it in. Um, we had a dinner in Dublin and Eddie had, and it's a really long story and I'm going to really, I'm going to speed it up. But Eddie was very keen to talk to Jason Leonard and Jason, you know, English prop, played 114 times for England, played a load of times for the Lions, absolute hero, legend guy. And Jason was very drunk, like unbelievably drunk. And uh, and he went up to him and he said, look, he said to Jerry Guscott, introduce me to uh, Jason Leonard, please. And Jerry said, I don't think so. He's very drunk. I, I, I think I'd leave you alone. And he said, no, no, I'd like to. So he goes over, introduce him. It's lovely. He's very nice to him. And Eddie said, well, I need him to meet Marie and the kids. I need, has to come over and meet the kids. Jerry says, no, I don't think you should because he's quite drunk. And um, Eddie, jumping from toe to toe, brings him over, introduce him. And Jason is as sweet as pie. Everything perfect. Delighted to meet you, uh, Marie. Fantastic. Great to see you, kids. So happy to meet you. And Eddie hits him a punch into the stomach and said, Jesus, Jason, you've kind of let yourself go a little. You're not doing a huge amount of training. Um, to which Jason caught him by the neck caught him by the trousers, lifted him above his shoulders and shoulder-pressed him 10 times in front of a 1,000 people. <laughs> and he put him back down on the ground and he said, well, I do a little bit still. <laughs> <laughs> he made me look a lot smaller than I actually am. It's a true story. But then you're talking about something like that because we're in Monaco and DC lives here and I live here. Um, the Prince... Prince Albert, who is such a magic, um, and he will be, I'm sure, at most of the games. Um, he certainly. loves his rugby. He, he loves he? his rugby, my God. But um, we met the prince, I think it was probably 2008 or 10 or whatever in Dublin, uh, and the prince wanted to have a bit of nightclub. It wasn't Lily's Bordellos, I think it was Reinhardt's that we were in, and Keith was with me, and we, we kind of saw Bruno, who was his aide de camp, and he said, look, um, the boss is behind us, and he was dressed up in different gear so as not to be recognised. Uh, so that was the first time. And then second of all, last year sometime we had uh, another couple of Irish people, McGinley, yourself, Keith, uh, me, Harry Gibbons was there, Harry, our friend, and, um, and of course, Michael Flatley. And I rang the boss, the prince, uh, would he like to come and have a few pints with us? Because we were down in Le Note Blue and um, we had this table almost in the water. And um, true enough, Without a moment's hesitation, the mention of pints and the Irish people, uh, the boss came to see us. And uh, that was a, a, a hugely memorable occasion. Well, just sitting sitting on a beach and the prince just walks in and sits down beside you. You know, it's kind of mad. It's just, so as, as with all things, um, I would live a pretty... Uh, normal life. I don't uh, believe a word of that. Not too extravagant. And then every time you spend any time with uh, with Eddie, it tends to go off the edge of a cliff of madness or extravagance. But it's it is fantastic. Like it just for us, it was just well for me, simple, um, entertaining, fun because you don't get the opportunity to to meet people like this very often. And sport opens that up to you. Friendships open that up to you. And you suddenly realize, actually, one of my friends said to me recently, um, because actually meeting you, Eddie, strangely, um, uh, and he got it wrong. But he said, look, just meeting these guys and these famous guys, he said, it's, it's, you just realize that they're all pretty normal. 
Apart from Jordan, of course. <laughs> Thanks for that. I think we're finished with you. Bye-bye. Can you please cut that out? <laughs> no, we're leaving that in. And that sums up and rounds up perfectly this section of the podcast. So, Keith, thank you very much uh, for telling us brilliant stories. You've been absolutely a, a great guest to, to have on. Kate, love you, brother. I will always have you very dear in my heart. Thank you so much. Cheers, gents.